Welcome to St. Martin in the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music and a special welcome for those who are visitors and to those joining us online. We're reflecting on the theological and musical themes of summer uh, today uh, and a friend of mine, Gemma Simmons, who's a companion of Jesus, uh, the female order uh, similar to the Jesuits, uh, says this about summer. Summer reminds us of the insane generosity of God. Trees and plants flower and fruit in a way that can seem almost criminally wasteful. Bumblebees amble past, drunk on nectar. Neither animals nor humans can eat and use all the fruit that emerges from the trees and bushes. If a spirituality of summer tells us anything, it is that the fruition of the earth, the fruit of time spent contemplatively going about our daily tasks is always going to be more than we can calculate and make use of in obvious ways. So a wonderful portrayal of the abundance of long summer days. We chose to have this uh, great sacred music on a day that isn't a long, hot day, but given the rest of Europe, we might be quite grateful just for that. We're going to start, as we always do, at Great Sacred Music by singing a hymn together, which you can find on the inside of your leaflets. If you don't have a leaflet, there's still one or two left over in the middle of the aisle. Uh, we're going to sing Christ Whose Glory Fills the Skies, written by Charles Wesley in 1740 and inspired by the Benedictus, the anthem that is uh, said or sung every morning at morning prayer in the Anglican liturgy. The tender mercy of our God from whom the day spring from on high has visited us. It's a classic Wesley hymn. What do I mean by that? Uh, it balances the inspiration of dawn with the analogy of spiritual light. In the end, it's about the great majesty of God, but it what it comes down to is what God is doing in the believer's heart. You can see each of the first two verses makes that journey, and the last verse doesn't really make the journey at all. It starts in the believer's heart and then ends with the glory uh, of God. The German tune, Ratisbon, uh, named, I'm sure, as you know, the Germans among us, after the oldest town in Bavaria. The tune dates back before Luther, but the version that we usually sing to this hymn uh, is the one to which it was set in the original edition of Hymns Ancient and Modern in 1861. We remain seated, the voices stand and lead us as we all sing in a summary way, Christ whose glory fills the skies.
We're going to hear an anthem now based on a poem uh, called Love's Endeavor, Love's Expense by W.H. Vanston. W.H. Vanston was a significant person for me. He, Love's Endeavor, Love's Expense, the book is the same name as the poem, uh, was the first theological book I ever read when I was 19. Uh, I, was, I studied history, so I was only a kind of look-over-the-wall theologian in those days. And uh, I met uh, him when he gave a presentation in the town near where I lived. He was the first person I'd ever met who could speak for an hour without using any notes, and I was captivated by uh, his theology. He was uh, a bachelor all his life. He spent the 1950s and 60s on a housing estate parish <coughs> on the outskirts of Manchester, and the book Loves and Devil Love Expense, which was possibly the, uh, the one book you could rely on everybody when I was at seminary, when I was at Theological College, you could pretty much rely every single seminarian would have that book on their shelf in the late 80s. Uh, it's a reflection on his experiences of ministry uh, in Manchester and his uh, growing conviction that the love of God must be infinitely more costly, more precarious, and more exposed than it is commonly thought to be. It's a, it's a kind of theology of the, the risk of God in creation and the risk of all of us in the different forms of creation in which we are engaged. As he puts it, we'll never know how people or things might turn out. Uh, and he says the experience of God is that in the midst of the joy that exists because of the created world, there is a hidden agony, the agony that springs from the love God has for all creation. So he puts this poem right at the end of the book, and it's captured the imagination of more than one composer. We're going to hear a setting by Barry Rose now.
Now, a couple of more very familiar texts with contemporary settings. First of all, the canticle of Brother Sun. Uh, what's significant about this uh, text is that it's thought to be the first hymn or poem of praise recorded in the Italian language by St. Francis. I think there were uh, maybe two days, two days left to see the St. Francis exhibition at the National Gallery, and of course I'm sure the great majority of you are on your way there even as we speak after great sacred music and a very nice lunch in the cafe, I'm sure. This cafe, not theirs, of course. Um, Francis has this wonderful sense of creation as something to be befriended rather than subdued. As you may be familiar, the controversy about the word dominion in the first chapter of Genesis, all about what the relationship of humanity to the creation should be, and a theory uh, created in the 60s by uh, an American naturalist that all the problems with the environment go back to that word dominion in Genesis chapter one. Well, uh, that particular uh, naturalist hadn't acquainted himself with the tradition of St. Francis, very much seeing creation as something to be befriended, not dominated. Uh, and we're going to hear a setting in a moment of Brother Sun, Sister Moon, uh, set by longtime Magdalen College Oxford composer Grayson Ives. Then we're going to hear Crossing the Bar, uh, an 1889 poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson, considered to have been written by Tennyson in elegy. There's a sense of finality about the poem. The narrator uses an extended metaphor to compare death with crossing the sandbar between the river of life with its outgoing flood and the ocean that lies beyond death, the boundless deep to which we return. And we get this notion of the pilot which seems clearly a metaphor for God, whom the speaker hopes to meet face to face. What Tennyson said about the poem is this, the pilot has been on board all the while, but in the dark I have not seen him. He is that divine and unseen who is always guiding us.
well, the title of our uh, Great Sacred Music event today comes from the hymn we're about to sing together, uh, I, the Lord of Sea and Sky. The words are based around Isaiah 6. You may remember the uh, momentous scene in the temple of which Isaiah dreams when uh, the Most High comes down and touches his lips with coal and uh, the question is asked, who, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah replies, here I am, send me. That's the inspiration for the hymn. But there's also a little bit of First Samuel. You remember the, the famous story, of course, very precious to me because it's where I got my name from, uh, of the young Samuel sleeping uh, in the, uh, the shrine and dreaming, waking up three times hearing uh, the Lord's voice going to see Eli to ask what was going on and Eli finally realizing that Samuel was being called and given uh, a great message that was bad news for Eli as it turned out. Well, like a, a number of people, Dan Shute uh, started his musical career at the top. He, that ability of certain hymn writers to produce their best work with their first published composition. is quite a, a common pattern. I guess it's the, the, the simplicity that cuts through uh, some of the sophistication that, that becomes added as you get older. But he was 31. He was studying theology at the Jesuit School of Theology at Berkeley in California. He was asked to compose at short notice a piece for the ordination of a deacon. And he hit the jackpot with this one. So much so that you won't be able to believe these words I'm about to tell you, but in a 2013 survey conducted by Songs of Praise, Here I Am, Lord, was named the fifth most popular hymn in Britain. And it does not get bigger than that. Um, there's only one way to sing this, and that is with gusto. So I highly commend it to you. We're going to remain seated as the voices stand and lead us, and we sing I, the Lord of sea and sky.
Well, we're coming towards the end of Great Sacred Music for this week. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Uh, if you have, there's an opportunity to make a cash donation as you leave. You can also use one of these wonderful QR codes that we've uh, started putting on the back of our leaflets. Uh, you can text, you can swipe a card on the card reading machine uh, as you depart. There's all sorts of ways to keep this great tradition uh, going. Nearly 10 years old now. Uh, next Choral Classics is coming up this weekend, Sunday 3.15 in the afternoon. And do join us for Great Sacred Music next Thursday on the theme, Lift Thine Eyes. Now, if you were to conjure up one image in your mind about summertime in this country, I think it would be those incredibly late evenings we get, particularly in the north of England and in Scotland, that seem to go on almost till, uh, till midnight. If you were going to transpose yourself to the American South, I think you would have that sense of a sultry evening with uh, cicadas, uh, bleating and a sense that there was a, a mystery in the air, perhaps a romance. And we're going to finish with more of that sense of mystery and romance and cicadas with the aria Summertime, composed in 1934 by George Gershwin for his opera Porgy and Bess. And uh, the lyrics actually come from DuBose Howard, the author of the novel on which the opera was based. Here's a bit of summer for you. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm. 